of his one, one to seven. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Am I on? Am I on? Testing, testing. Can you hear me? Oh, it's working. Where are you? That's good. Um, First hurdle done. Well, thanks for having me here. Um, I'm stepping in for Eleanor this morning, so you've got me. Sorry. Um, But Eleanor just couldn't cope with another Sunday. No, I'm joking. Um, (laughs) So this morning, we're looking at uh, the healing of the man born blind. Um, which is, you know, it's a great passage of a wonderful miracle that happened. Um, so as I was, as I was prepping for, for this morning, um, I was thinking, right, well, this is the second time I've, I've done a sermon, so I can't hide behind the fact that I've never done one before now. I've got to make it good. Um, so what makes a good sermon? Um, hmm, well, thinking, hmm, got to have a joke in there somewhere. Um, got to keep people happy, no, no one falling asleep. Um, that's important, original Greek, because um, that, that's a real Chudley Baptist Church thing, isn't it? It really helps. Um, a perfect PowerPoint also helps. This really helps the, the message get across. Animation's very important. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, incorporate spreadsheets as well, because I'm an accountant, and spreadsheets are great for everything, including sermons. Um, so then, so that really put me on the right track um, of thinking of most, well, those things came up as well. Um, so, yeah, so this morning, I just hope and pray that um, it's meaningful for you that you hear um, from God what he has for you. Um, so I thought I'd start with a quiz. Ooh. Um, everyone, <laughs> everyone, get your pen and paper now, I'm joking. Um, so miracles in the Bible is what we're thinking about. So how many... Biblically recorded miracles do we think that Jesus um, has done in the Bible? Any guesses of how many miracles Jesus did? Any shout-outs? Do we think uh, 10, 100, 50? Is that 50? 80. We've got an 80. Lower, higher? (laughs) Okay, okay. So you've got some figures in mind. How many of those miracles were healings miracles? How many any guesses? Healings. 30%. That, that, okay, thirty percent. We'll come to that later. Any, okay. And how many of those healings were blind people? Now we're really digging into this, aren't we? Um, anyone get this? <laughs> um, so yeah. So this this little bit here is the twenty healings out of the thirty-seven. That's the breakdown of those. So there you go. Um, now you know. So we're looking at one. Oh, thanks. These five blindness ones here. So we're going to look at one of those, which is this story. 
Um, and I know that we have a lot of teachers here um, in church, so it's important to show your workings. Um, so <laughs> but um, there's a full list. You can, all, you can peruse as I talk. Um, but yeah, miracles are um, an amazing thing. They're amazing signs to read about, to hear about. But uh, at the same time, they can also be a tough topic to discuss because sometimes we might feel that these are only something that happened in the Bible. Um, sometimes we cry out for miracles and our request isn't answered as we, as we want it to. And it's important to acknowledge that as well. Um, sometimes you don't get the miracle answer right there. For example, my mother-in-law, she's got stage four cancer at the moment and we're praying for a miracle healing. My mother has type one diabetes since she was seven. She's prayed for healings many times, um, hasn't seen that happen. So we haven't seen those healings happen yet, but we both, uh, they both know that God loves them dearly and he holds them dearly. And we yearn for miracles when we feel like we're victims of circumstances, maybe outside our control. It's a human response to want a miracle, a natural one, um, in response to an all-powerful God who can do anything. Sorry, I'm buzzing a little bit. Um, we can feel when we don't get the miracle, that maybe God turned his back on us this time. So I'm going to turn my back on God because that's what he did to me. Is it, is it the battery? Okay. Oh, thanks. Am I on? Yes, yeah, so sometimes we might feel that we should turn our backs on God if he turned our backs on his for not doing that miracle that we asked for. And it's hard sometimes until we place ourselves back in front of God, we might remain with our backs turned to him and feeling abandoned. We've actually got our backs turned to him saying, God, where are you then? But we've got our backs turned to him. Um, we've, we've got that feeling of resentment, feeling abandoned. We just need to turn ourselves again to God um, and remind ourselves that God is God and he ultimately is good whether life happened as we wanted it to or not, whether the miracle happened or not, he's sovereign. Um, and a theme that we get from reading Jesus' miracles is that there's normally a bigger purpose to it as well as the miracle itself. Um, there's other things to look at. And one thing the story we're looking at today shows us that we really are in a fallen world. This guy, born blind. And God's eternal love is with us. But love doesn't cancel out all the suffering and the sickness in our world. And on, on this side of eternity, at least, until we are on the other side of eternity, this is how things are at the moment. And although we see suffering in the world, we also see God overcoming it, and we see God showing his glory in ways we don't expect, as listed. God can use situations and turn them for good. So we're looking at signs and wonders in the past few weeks. We've looked at man healed by the pool, walking on water, can't remember the others, but we've done that. Um, 
So at this stage of his life, Jesus, just before this passage, was in and out of the temple, speaking to crowds, being questioned, trying to make him trip up over an answer. Um, he's just been in a heated exchange in chapter 8 with the Pharisees um, and just narrowly escaped a stoning. Um, and he did one of those slipping away in the crowd moments that we hear about a lot of times in, um, in the Gospels. He's just told the Jewish leaders that before Abraham was born, I am, was what, was what nearly got him stoned, saying that. Um, and obviously, Eleanor talked a little bit about this phrase, I am, last week, and how in the original Greek, uh, this is translated as ego emi, which you all remember from last week, meaning I am. Um, so even as he makes his escape from that situation, he's in, a, he's in flight, but he's still listening and looking for opportunities to show God's glory and touch people's lives, even then. There you go. Is it on? Um, yeah, so verse 1 says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. This man hasn't ever seen God's creation, and yet the bigger miracle that we're seeing in the passage is not the opening of his eyes, but of his heart to Jesus. Healing of a man um, who is blind is also a fulfillment of a prophecy. Back in Isaiah, it mentions about the eyes of the blind being opened, and he's fulfilling the scriptures, which is also part of the work that he's doing. So, but I think to myself a little bit, why does this man get chosen by Jesus to be healed? Why him? Why not another guy, or the next one, or everyone, um, or a Pharisee? That will show him. Um, that will shut them up, wouldn't it? Jesus had the power to do it, but Jesus was also obedient to God and the plans of his father, not, not well, not, not that he is not the father, <laughs> but he was obedient to the plans of God the Father in heaven. And he had work for Jesus to do. And this man was in that plan. This man was in the work. And he was aware of that and in line with it. And God's plan for Jesus' ministry was far greater than just healing the sick. Yes, he was there to heal some people, but he wasn't just there to heal everyone. He had greater plans than that. Um, so healings are used numerous times as signs, but the messages of each healing has significance beyond that, which glorified God and caused others to examine themselves as well. So the healings are secondary to the message behind them. Um, which was that his father worked through him and was working through him. And the man later went on in John chapter 9 to be a bit of a thorn in the side of the Pharisees, saying how Jesus healed him. A few weeks ago when we looked at the, the man healed by the pool, God wasn't just healing the lame man. He was questioning our attitude. Do you want to get well? Teaching obedience to him, saying... Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And he was exposing hypocrisy around the reasons behind the Sabbath, the Pharisees. There's more to healing in Jesus' ministry. There's more than healing in Jesus' ministry. Jesus saw this man and knew that God wanted to use him in that moment to impact his life, bringing glory to God in the process, but also teaching others about himself. 
This doesn't mean that God never heals people just to bless that person to be well. But in this case, and many others that we've read about, God is using this for more than just a healing. Verses two and three are questions from the, from the disciples. Why is this happening? Why is this man born blind? Tell me why is this, why is he suffered like this? Did he sin or did his parents sin? It's, it's something we all want to know. Why, did, why is this happening to me? Why is this person suffering or that person suffering? It's a natural question to be asked. It's understandable. Um, it is a strange one though because it would seem the fact that he was born blind would exclude him from being the one who sinned to make him blind. Um, how could he sin? How could he sin in the womb? Um, it was one of the strange ideas that existed at that time. Some Jews believed in the pre-existence of the soul, um, which was the belief that all souls have already existed in the Garden of Eden before the creation. And this implied somehow this man could have sinned in a former state which is probably why they were asking that question if they held that belief. As for the question of his parents sinning, this is coming from the Exodus passage talking about uh, God punishing children and their children, children's children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Well, Jesus finishes answering their questions um, in the next verses by stating, the better question is not why did this happen, but what does God want to accomplish through it happening, or what can God do now? And he further says that neither this man or the parents had caused it, but rather that the glory of God could be revealed through him. And this doesn't imply that he's without sin or his parents were without sin, just that that was not the cause of this one. And Jesus didn't say that the sickness, that sickness and disease are never a consequence of sin, um, but also it's a mistake to think that all sickness and illness is due to sin. Of course, original sin being discounted from that comment, which is why it came into the world. Jesus is also not saying that this man was made to go through his whole life to get to that point on that side of the road saying, I'm going to heal you now. Um, He was saying that this man's blindness was something that God could use through which his works can be made manifest. So we can't choose how God is going to glorify himself in us, but we can seek to glorify him whatever the situation is that we're going through. Even when it feels like It's a bit unfair. This guy was born blind, um, but he's still being used by God. Verses 4 and 5 talks about, I'll just read them again. It says, as long as it's it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So this statement's quite a challenge. We must do the works of God. It also could be misunderstood. For example, a guy I know is a Jehovah's Witness, and they love to talk about this verse being evidence that salvation is earned through works. This isn't what he's saying. He's not saying we're earning God's favor 
we're not saying that we're earning our salvation, um, but we must do the work of God who sent us because he has a lot of work to be done. He's got a lot of people to reach. That's God's plan for us, to bring the light of Jesus to others. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's in a bit of a hurry by the sounds of it. He's saying, we've only got this time, night's coming. It's like Game of Thrones, winter is coming, night's coming. It's quite doom-bringing, isn't it? But it's, it's sort of a sense of, guys, we've got, this, we've got this time, we need to use it. He knows there's a limited time before he's going to go on the cross, which is a bigger picture plan. But also, he's doing his utmost to bring the light to those in the darkness before that happens. He's got three years of ministry. He's using it to the most effective way. Most importantly, he's following the plan of his father. He's so in tune with the will of God the Father that he expresses this as his obligation. He knows how good it is for people to see the light, and he just has that urging, we have to do this, we need, pe- we need to save people, guys. And he's only in his human form at this point. He can only be in one place at that point to heal one person. He's got to do the works and then move on to the next works, whatever that is. He's saying, look, this is an opportunity to bring light to someone. Don't miss it. Don't leave the works for the next season in life. I'm too busy right now because he's saying the night is coming. And whilst it's day, we need to make use of the daylight. So the same goes for us. We only have one life before the night comes. We can't do any more at that point. We're all here to be in relationship with our God, our Heavenly Father, be reconciled with him, but through that to bring light to other people. So it doesn't end at us being reconciled with him. We've been called to go out and do these works. There's a lot to do. And if you feel maybe you're not currently knowing what the work is or you're not doing the work, or you're a bit confused, ask God in a genuine way what he wants of you. If you're real with God, God will be real with you. Not a ritualistic way of doing work. It's a real God's work. Be real with him and he will point the way. It's a process of learning to recognize God's voice, not your own thoughts and thinking. It takes time. But God isn't saying to everyone to go out and find a blind man to heal or go out and heal someone right now before it's night time. He's not saying that. For example, I recently had some confusion in my spiritual life and was sort of ended up crying out, God, what do you want me to be doing right now? I'm just just living, going to work, sleeping. What am I doing? Um, As I lay on my bed reaching out to God, And he just said at that point, I don't want anything from you. I just want to love you and know you and for you to love me and know me. And anything else comes as fruit out of that relationship. So God primarily wants a real, genuine relationship with us. Springing out of that comes fruit. And and the fruit spurs us on to do the work of the kingdom. These are the works being talked about. And that's what we've got to get on doing. So there is work to be done and a limited time to do it for Jesus in this story and for us all. 
So we need to be aware and hold in our minds that the night is coming. And at some point, so we need to make use of the day. I won't say seize the day because that's too cliche. Um, so the last few verses, two verses, talk about this odd interaction of spit and mud and washing. It's very, very odd. Has anyone been to a spa day? Anyone? Um, anyone had the cucumbers on their eyes? Hands? No? Oh, one's omitted it. Um, so apparently the cucumbers act as a anti-inflammatory, reducing puffiness, hydrating, cooling. It's great. Mud. I've not done it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> sounds great, though. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure what you guys make of Jesus' eye treatment process. Um, it's an odd sort of thing to think about, isn't it? Um, spitting on the ground, making the mud. He doesn't do things how we expect them to be done, that's for sure. It sounds more likely to make the guy blind or worse than to heal him. Um, in fact, it's very strange. So the fact that the spit and the mud are used could, could be a sign of you know, the lowest of the low things being used, demonstrating that the healer really is God, not this stuff. Um, on him. It's not a magic mixture. Um, it shows us God doesn't do things how we think he's going to do them. So when you ask God for a miracle, I'm not saying he's going to put mud on you, but what I'm saying is he might do something that you don't expect him to do. Um, and it might feel weird or seem weird. But it's our job to be obedient and be in line with his will. But why this bit? Um, I mean, I don't think this person would have seen this coming. But, um, but, um. <coughs> anyway, um, so there are speculations on the reason <laughs> why this bit. There was, there, was, uh, there was some strange beliefs around at the time. There was a belief among the Jews um, of this time that saliva of a legitimate firstborn heir contained healing property. So that's, that's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? But Jesus has just been telling the Pharisees of his parentage in the temple. And now he's using the spit as a part of the healing. Maybe he's saying to the Pharisees, look, I am a legitimate firstborn heir of God. That could be what he's trying to say. It should be noted that this man hasn't said a word right now. He hasn't asked Jesus to heal him. He's just sitting by the side of the road. Jesus walks past. You probably hear his footsteps. People start talking about sin and God's glory, and suddenly he's got mud there. Um, he's not said a word. But Jesus has put mud on his eyes, and the next verse he's saying, go and wash it off. He must be thinking, what is going on? I was just enjoying the day, and I've got mud here, and now I have to go and wash. Thanks. But hopefully... You know, he's, he's been commanded to go and wash. It's a bit of blind faith. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, he hadn't asked for it. He wouldn't have known why it was happening. But he was obedient to God, and he recognized that the voice speaking to him was that of Jesus, the Savior, his Lord and Savior. And that's a lesson to be learned, for sure. 
because we need to learn to recognize his voice without seeing him as well. We can often feel that God is maybe distant or not working in our lives directly. Um, I've had times feeling like that. But in those times, how willing have we been to be obedient to God when he says the equivalent of go over there and wash? Do we do that? Are we willing to do that? There are times when we might feel God is asking something of us and we dismiss it as our own thoughts. It's just me. I'm just being stupid. I'm just... What am I thinking? No. So many times you might think, is God saying this? Should I? Don't know. No, it's just me. I'm going to go. Run away. Um, But we need to take the lesson from this blind man. We need to learn to hear and recognize the voice of our Lord. And that isn't, it isn't easy sometimes. And it takes a long, a lot of time of just talking to God, praying with God. And the more that we interact with God, he will talk back. And through that, we will recognize what God is saying. Which bits of my thoughts are God talking back? And which bits of me is thinking about football? That isn't God. That's, yeah. It takes time and it's, it's difficult. But when we listen and obey, God is glorified through it. The, the guy went to wash. God was glorified. He was healed. And his eyes were opened. And he recognized who God was. And later on, he goes on to talk about that with the Pharisees. So Jesus is a miracle worker, alive today as much as he was in the Bible. He's seeking to build the kingdom, save the lost, also to bless the church. Don't dismiss Jesus as a miracle-working God today, but also remembering God's plans are always bigger than our thoughts and plans. And whatever the circumstances, God can use all things for his glory. God can turn all things into an opportunity, no matter what you might think. You might be like Jesus in flight and suddenly there's an opportunity. We need to be aware of it. People need saving. There's work to be done. We're surrounded by people who need Jesus. So don't leave it to someone else. The time is now. We've been called. If we want to be a light for God in, in the darkness, we first have to know God ourselves intimately and receive the light for ourselves before we can give it to others. Otherwise, what are we giving out except our own attempted wisdom? God doesn't work in ways that we expect. So expect the unexpected. And if we want to work with God, we need to learn to recognize his voice, listen, and obey. So I'm going to pray as we close, and I'll hand back to the guys. Father God, thank you that you are a miracle-working God, and you have so much for us. Lord, we want to be in line with what you have for us. We want to be aware of your plans for us. We want to be doing the works that you have in the day before the night comes. And Lord, we want to be willing to step out and be obedient where we can't see the road ahead. Lord, help us to be courageous and brave in our walk with you. Amen.